Chapter 2 of Your Psychic Powers and How to Develop Them. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Your Psychic Powers and How to Develop Them by Harroward Carrington. Chapter 2 Harmonious Conditions. If we exert ourselves in any way whatever, we desire certain conditions in order to bring our powers and faculties into play to the best advantage. If we are undertaking to perform any feat of physical strength, of intellectual or spiritual achievement, we desire to be free from care and worry, distraction and irritation, to be enabled to center and focus the whole of our energy in the channel desired. It is the same with mediumship. Conditions for the Exercise of Psychic Powers Professor Flurney of Geneva writes in this connection, quote, As to the influence of various physical and mental conditions upon the exercise of mediumship, my correspondents are unanimous in condemning as absolute hindrances, or at least grave obstacles, to the production of phenomena, all such causes as physical exhaustion, disturbing emotions, uneasiness, absorbing thoughts, fatigue, enervation, etc., the conditions required for the successful exercise of mediumistic powers are the same as for the voluntary exercise of any other power. A state of good health, nervous equilibrium, calm, the absence of care, good humor, sympathetic surroundings, etc. Many insist upon moral elevation, purity of conduct, noble aspirations, altruism, etc., saying that these things strengthen mediumship, while the lower sentiments, such as cupidity, pride, jealousy, etc., are the cause of much loss of power. Others have insisted that certain physical conditions have a propitious effect, silence, semi-obscurity, good ventilation, fasting, etc. End quote. Necessity for Conditions Those who do not understand the laws of spiritualism have contended that the conditions demanded by mediums are often absurd, for the reason that they permit trickery. If the conditions permit the practice of fraud, they should not be allowed. Beyond this, any conditions required by the medium should be granted, for the medium alone is the one to know what these conditions should be. Mediumship, doubtless, has its conditions, its own psychic laws, just as any other exercise of the inner powers. Many skeptics do not see this. They say, if you can produce these phenomena, you must be able to produce them at any time, just as we can always produce the same effects in a chemical or physical laboratory. Why all this fuss about conditions, etc.? But they fail to take into consideration human nature and the fact that psychic laws and physical laws are different. We can easily prove this. Conditions in Art Take any musical composer, or any artist who paints, and seat him at a table with instructions to compose a sonata or paint a wonderful picture within half an hour. Suppose that during all the time the work is in progress, noise and flurry is constantly going on in the same room. The desk at which the artist works is being shaken. Children are continually running in and out of the room, etc. Do you think that, under such conditions, a masterpiece in either music or art could be produced? Could a poet compose a sonnet under such conditions? Certainly he could not. The exercise of mediumistic power is assuredly as delicate, as subtle, as refined, as easily disturbed as any of these productions of the genius of man. 
How absurd, therefore, to pretend or contend that mediums should be able to exercise their powers whenever they want them, under any conditions, and to contend further that if they fail to do so they are therefore frauds and humbugs. For the successful exercise of mediumship or psychic power in any direction, the essentials which have been mentioned above must be fulfilled, as well as any others which the medium may feel are required. These must by all means be granted, for if they are not, it is highly probable that no phenomena at all will be obtained. Harmony All Important Harmony is the keynote of successful mediumship, harmony of physical, mental, and spiritual life. This is only carrying to its logical conclusion what we observe every day all around us. Have we not all felt immediately upon meeting certain persons that they were attractive or repellent to us? We felt either drawn or repulsed inwardly for no reason that we could define. Many theories have been advanced to explain this fact, but the most probable is that, surrounding each individual, there is an aura or psychic atmosphere which surrounds him like a halo or sheath, extending some distance outward from the body and varying with the individual temperament, emotions, and the physical and mental health. If these auras are sympathetic, if they blend one with another, then we have attraction leading in many cases to love at first sight. If the opposite conditions exist, we have instinctive dislikes, which are generally correct. As the poet said, I do not like you, Dr. Fell. The reason why, I cannot tell. Mental Harmony Next to physical harmony comes mental harmony, and here is a wide field for observation and experiment. All spiritualists know that persons of certain temperaments must be excluded from serious circles if the better class of phenomena are to be obtained. Such persons include the flippant, the arrogant, the unduly skeptical, the frivolous, etc. In addition to this, however, finer and more subtle points of mental harmony must be adjusted in our mental scales. It is advisable, whenever possible, to bring together persons having more or less the same point of view, interests, and sympathies. Sympathetic people always obtain better phenomena than the extremely intellectual ones. In the latter, the mind is, so to speak, hard, unyielding, and tends to build up a wall or barrier between itself and the medium, which it is difficult or even impossible for the latter to break through. We have known of several cases in which mediums were unable to obtain any results at all for individuals of the very intellectual and, so to speak, critical type of mind whereas they could obtain an abundance of striking manifestations for the sympathetic and more congenial natures. Excessive Gravity At the same time, extreme gravity and seriousness on all occasions is to be avoided. Every person who investigates spiritualism should see to it that he preserves throughout his sense of humor and his continued contact with and interest in the things of this world. If he does not do this, he is liable to become unduly swayed and overbalanced by the messages which are given to him, and by the startling and at first sight almost appalling fact that communication with the spirits of the departed has really been established. If he does not preserve his balance and common sense at such times, he is liable to become not only unduly credulous, but even to fly off the handle altogether, and his mind may in some instances actually become unhinged. Be careful, therefore, to keep the compartments of your mind watertight, as it were, and not allow your interest for the things spiritual 
to overflow and swamp your interest in things material. Spiritual Harmony Next we come to spiritual sympathy and harmony, which is perhaps most important of all in the formation of successful circles. This would include an interest in spiritual things, aspirations, benevolence, sympathy, a more or less religious turn of mind, tolerance, and the ability to see things from the standpoint of another, this being sympathy in its broadest sense. It is the blending together of a number of temperaments of this character which constitutes the successful circle. The reason for this harmony and delicate adjustment of conditions may be seen readily enough by a reference to the phenomena not only of the mental but of the physical world. For instance, if you set into vibration a tuning fork, this will emit a note of a certain pitch. Another tuning fork, distant many feet from the first, will instantly vibrate in unison if the two are attuned one to the other. But unless the tuning forks are adjusted at precisely the right pitch, they will not respond, and a thousand tuning forks may be placed around the room, but none of them will respond in any way to the vibration of the first. This crude analogy, drawn from the physical world, will show us how essential harmony is, and, if this be true in material phenomena, more certainly is it true in the mental and spiritual realms. Harmony and Vibration Every individual is said to vibrate at a certain rate. This is his own pitch, so to say, and no two human beings are alike. This definite rate of vibration doubtless corresponds to the personality of the individual, and, though no two can be absolutely alike, those who approximate each other the nearest would be the most sympathetic, and would be the most drawn one to the other. And if this is true of spirits incarnate here in this life, it is doubtless true when applied to the relations between our own spirits and the spirits of those who have passed over. There is an old saying that like attracts like. If the tone of the circle, and of the individuals composing it, is high, the aspirations elevated and pure, that circle will attract to it spirits from the other side having the same vibrations as itself. The circle will, in fact, only come in contact with good and not evil spirits. Certainly there are exceptions to every rule, but the above is the general law which may be stated in broad terms as true. For, were this not the case, we might contend that no such thing as justice existed in the universe, and that chance and not moral law held all in its sway. But we know that this is not the case, inasmuch as we feel assured in our heart of hearts that beauty, truth, and justice are the foundation stones upon which this universe is built. We might rightly suppose that this is in every case the truth, and that a circle formed by serious-minded investigators, having in view only the highest and best motives, would draw to them helpful and loving spirits from the great beyond. And the history of spiritualism proves this to be the fact. How to fit yourself for a circle. The method you should follow to fit yourself most effectually for becoming a member of one of these advanced circles is as follows. You should perfect and make as wholesome as possible the physical body in which you live. This is brought about by paying particular attention to the diet, and by taking an abundance of exercise, deep breathing, and frequent baths. Many spiritualists have become vegetarians with this object in view, and also non-smokers and abstainers from alcohol. Tea and coffee are also debarred in some quarters, but such strict measures are usually advised only for those who are striving for individual spiritual perfection, 
and need not necessarily be followed by one who is a member of a large circle. Of course, such measures cannot fail to benefit an individual in any case. THE KEYSTONE OF THE ARCH Cultivate cheerfulness, altruism, and a simple, wholesome point of view, banishing fear as you would the devil, and never allowing it for a moment to dominate or enter into you. Preserve a sane religious balance, and endeavor in any way possible to cultivate sympathy for the point of view of others, no matter how prejudiced and narrow it may be. Keep your mind lifted up, elevated, and, as Andrew Jackson Davis said, under all circumstances, keep an even mind. If you do not naturally possess it, cultivate an insight into things spiritual, and above all, true benevolence and sympathy. This is the keystone of the arch erected to and supporting self-perfection. End of chapter 2